My name is Scott Hetherington. Um, I have been coming to Arbor for about the last seven months. Um, I'm a dad of three kids. I have a 16-year-old daughter, Abby, who is about a month away from being 16, I guess, and getting her full-time driver's license, so you know the agony of that. Um, if you're a te- parent of a teenager, I have a 19-year-old son who is currently living in Bozeman, Montana, working his way into Montana State University. And I know. And um, my 21-year-old daughter, who currently lives at home and we're working on an exit plan as she's finishing up at Cascadia Community College, to which I love my daughter with my whole heart, but I'm excited about the exit plan. And if you've never been a parent of a daughter or son that keeps living at home, you don't understand that. All right? But some of you do. Um, a little bit about myself. I grew up in Chicago for the first 10 years, so any Chicago natives in the, in the house, give a shout out there. So I grew up being a Cubs fan. We love winning World Series once every 100 years. Um, that's just how we roll. And when I was 10 years old, our dad packed us all up and moved us to southeast Idaho, Idaho Falls, Idaho. I was very angry with my dad at that time. I've learned to say that through therapy. I was very angry with my dad at that time. And because I looked at the map, I said, Dad, there's no pro teams. There's nothing out here. And he said, well, there's Denver's not that far away. I said, I'm not cheering for anything from Denver. And so then I discovered this town called Seattle. And one of my new friends there had this really cool aunt that would come from Seattle. And she'd bring these like Seahawks things and Supersonics and the Mariners. And little did I know the train that I was getting on starting to cheer for the Mariners. Because apparently they're on the same league of winning the World Series once every hundred years, hopefully. (laughs) You know, the Seahawks have kind of turned a corner. We've had some success there, you know. The Supersonics got sold out from underneath us. Don't go to Starbucks. Um, So I didn't say that out loud. I'm sorry. That would be like anarchy in this area. So I've lived, you know, in the Idaho area. Then after that, I went to college in Ohio, got my principal, no, sorry, my teaching degree in PE and health, and then I went and taught in Montana for nine years. And it was in Montana that... Um, I met my wife, we got married out there, we had our first two kids out there, and in 2000, all right, we moved out here to Seattle, and that's where the journey's been going on. In 2000, I became the youth pastor at Antioch Bible Church, and it was during that time that I got to know Jake, because he was at Overlake, and our paths began to cross, we started doing youth ministry together, and we had a lot of fun. Jake is this, Jake is this um, great balance between a super creative music type of person, but also is very anal and detailed, and you just don't find that mix very much. And the two of us hit it off very well, we began speaking to each other's retreats and working together, running youth events, and we just became fast friends. And so from 2000 till now, both Jake and I have journeyed with each other through some really dark times some really difficult times, but we've remained friends either from a distance when we were kind of in different circles to closer now, and I'll share a little bit about that today because you all know Jake's story, and we all have a story in this room. So I share that with you a little bit to tell you this. As we begin to talk about worry today, I'm not here to be like some expert. I'm not a self-help guy to tell you all the answers you need to know about worry. I'm going to talk to you strictly from experience from a guy that's weighted neck deep, almost drowned in worry, to a guy that still have days where I worry and wrestle with worrying. So what I hope that we do today is that we have a collective learning together, and maybe there's a little bit of an inspiration or a moment where you hear from God challenging you on about worry and what you need to do with that, and that's what we're going to be doing today. And so as we delve into worry, um, I want to share with you just some different stories about worry where you are. One of the biggest triggers for me in worry is money. 
I'll just be honest with you. I've never been very good with money. I, I, I didn't grow up poor. My family was very well-to-do. My dad was an anesthesiologist. You know, he said, he said his job was to sit around and pass gas all day, um, <laughs> which he really did outside of work, so I didn't really understand the humor of that as a child. <laughs> and I think dads still do that, probably. Um, so I didn't, but I never really grasped the concept of investment, planning, saving, and it's haunted me. And I'll be honest with you, it still haunts me today as a single dad of um, three kids and two in college and, you know, car insurance and dental bills and the random dad, can I have $20? Dad, I need $10. Dad, I need $20. Just stop. All right. So money is a worrier for me. So I know for me that when money comes up, when I look at my finances, when I look at my checking account, things like that, there's a worry. And then right behind worry comes shame. And then right behind shame comes, all right, (laughs) self-mutilation, beating myself up, telling me I'm no good. So that's what I want to try to wrestle with today. We're not, I'm trying to think about that real worry, not the worry about, you know, like, do my shoes match today? Hopefully they do, and my socks, and do these jeans make my butt look big? And I don't want to know the answer to that because then I'd worry about something else. So there are all those kind of worries that we were, we're worried going to be late. Are we going to be on time? Or we worry about, oh my gosh, does she like me? Does he like me? I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have sent that text or whatever. There's all sorts of levels of worry. And what I'm going to try to tackle today is that worry, I think, that really just grabs hold of you and keeps you stuck. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about when we get to the Sermon on the Mount. We realize we're going to have light worries in life. The issue is beginning to balance and recognize that and what we do with it and how do we manage it. So that's the journey I want to take us on today. And again, we're going to learn all this together. What I'd like to do first is start with our central passage. Our main passage comes out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33, which we've already identified as part of the Sermon on the Mount. It reads like this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field? They grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's pray. God, I just come to you this morning, Lord, once again, thanking you for your guidance and direction in first service, Lord. I pray for this service now, God, that you would be here and you would be present. God, I pray out against the enemy that is in here to cause any confusion, distraction, um, just deceit, God, that the enemy would not be welcome here, Lord. As children of God and a body of believers, um, we command the enemy not to be welcome here, and we usher in the Holy Spirit and the spirit of learning and listening and hearing, God. Lord, I pray that you would guide my words, that it would be your path and the words that you want to share today. Um, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, 
and feet that want to go put into action what you've told us today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I shared a little bit about myself, I spent a lot of my career in teaching, coaching, youth pastor, court advocate, nonprofit work with at-risk children, and currently I am a principal in in Bellevue School District at Spirit Ridge Elementary. So I've always been a teacher at heart around something or something or some kind of work or sport or activity. And so there's a nerdy part of me about words. I've always loved words as a teacher and digging into a word and what it means. So when I was looking up the word worry, I wanted to see how that breaks down. There's a verb part and a noun part. And when you look at the word worry as a verb, it says, give way to anxiety or unease. Allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty and troubles. I want to say that again. Allowing, that's a key part. It's something we allow to happen. We're in control. Allowing one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Another verb, part of it is to tear at, to gnaw on, or to drag around with the teeth. I don't think we're dragging anything around with our teeth. Um, That might be a different sermon. But it means like hanging on like a dog to a bone. If you've ever given one of your dogs those big old bones, you know, those rawhide bones, they just chew on it, chew on it, chew on it. They're gnawing it. You try to take it away from them. Don't do that. That's not a good thing. They get snarky. That's the verb. That's the action part of worry. It stirs us up. It consumes our mind. We hold on to it. We almost get possessive about it. And the more we do that, the bigger the worry grows. When you look at worry as a noun, it's a state of anxiety an uncertainty over actual or potential problems. So that's the thing about worry. Worry will come in when there's actual problems that we should have some sort of reaction to, but there's often worry about potential problems. We're not sure. It reminds me of the kid at the swimming pool that wants to jump into the deep end off the diving board, and in my short stint as a lifeguard one summer, they'd walk out to the edge of the diving board, they'd stand there. They'd stand there. They'd stand there. And their friends, you know, offering words of, you know, an encouragement to them. Jump already. Chicken, you idiot, jump. That's such kind words we say as children. And yet they're frozen on the diving board. And so I'd have to get out of the chair. I think I rescued more kids from the end of the diving board than from the swimming pool that summer. All right. And no, I just didn't throw them in to conquer their fears. Well, once or twice maybe. But the point is this. When you wade into worry you can get stuck. And I don't know if you've ever been stuck in life before. I don't know if you've ever been blindsided by something or something's happened in your life before that's caused you to go right into worry. What we're not talking about is concern. There's a difference between getting worried and anxious and wrapped up and focused on something so bad we can't move to what is healthy concern. We should be concerned about our children. If you have teenagers that drive, there's plenty of worry and then there's plenty of concern, (laughs) all right? And so that's what we're trying to distinguish between. So I came up, I didn't come up with, I researched, Google helped me come up with some things about the difference between worry and concern because I think it's an important thing. God wants you to plan. He wants you to think. He wants you to recognize when there's a need and act on it. So here's some differences we came up between worry and concern. Concern focuses on others. You recognize that the problem you're in can impact not just you, but other people. Worry focuses only on self. Woe is me. What am I going to do? What do I need to do? What a, it's a, 
self-centered. Concern motivates us to serve and help. Worry puts up barriers, excuses us to help and serve. Concern promotes action. Worry produces paralysis, like that kid on the diving board. Concern is driven by love. Worry is driven by fear. We're going to come back to that. Concern is goal-focused. Worry is problem-focused. Concern strengthens relationships. Worry strains relationships. I want you to think about that one for a minute. Think about when you get anxious and worried and worked up and all the thing. It impacts everybody around you. I could tell sometimes when I got home if mom and dad were in a worried, anxious state. You can sense that. Children can sense that. I can tell you as a principal and a teacher, kids can sense what the teacher's mood is or what their anxiety or worriness is. We can sense that from one another and it puts a strain on relationships. Concern is tempered by faith. Worry is tempted by doubt. And we're going to come back to this word faith. And when I use the word faith today, I want to clarify to you what I mean by faith. When I say faith, I mean Jesus. I mean Christ. When I tell my kids, keep the faith, it means your faith in what you know to be about God to be true, what you know about Jesus to be true, what you know about the scriptures to be true, and what you know about what he's implanted in you in the Holy Spirit to live life to the fullest. That doesn't mean abundant blessings all the time. It means there's a faith that will not be moved. And so when we come back to faith, it centers on Jesus and who he says he is and who God says we are and what he's done for us. And when we waffle between worry and anxiety and worry and anxiety, we're not accomplishing anything. Today is about shifting into concern and action to move us out of that state of worry. So here's the takeaway. Worry is problem-focused. Concern is solution-focused. Jesus was the ultimate solution to a problem. Adam and Eve ushered in worry. Jesus ushered in a solution. And that's what we're going to look through today. Um, as a teacher, we use a strategy called the golden circle. There's a book called um, Start With Why. Has anybody ever heard that book? Start With Why? I highly recommend it. It's a phenomenal book. And the concept is this. Why? To get to the what to figure out the how. And it's been a transformative practice in my life, not just in leadership, but in parenting and schoolwork and everything. So today, we're going to dig through the why, the what, and the how of worry. All right? What I want to show you today is why should we not worry? All right? What do we do about worry? And then how do we go about doing that consistently? So that's the journey I want to take with you today is the why, the what, and the how. And hopefully you'll hang with me as we walk through this and I share some of my story. The first thing we're going to start with is why not worry? Well, if you go back to our key passage right here, all right? And we look at verses 25 to 27 and read this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap and store and barge, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, at a single hour to your life? Now, that would be a cool superpower, if worrying at an hour to your life be like Hermione in that one Harry Potter one where she like do a little time travel thing. 
Yeah, there's another geek part of me. I love Harry Potter. All right. We can't do it. Worrying is futile. I don't really need to tell you this because you've probably experienced it. Worrying that you're late to something didn't get you there on time. Maybe speeding and breaking a few laws along the way and running some red lights got you there on time, but it sure wasn't worry. All right? If we go to work with opposite socks on and worry about it all day, they're not going to magically reappear the same color. No. Worry is futile. It does not change anything. The only thing worry does is mess your thinking up, is mess your relationships up. Worry is futile. All right? And it says in here, the birds don't fly around worrying because they know innately God's got them. He's going to provide for them. It's humans that walk around with this fear and this intensity of, oh my gosh, oh my goodness. And God says, don't do that. I got your back. I got your needs. That doesn't mean there's not going to be dark times. But to sit and worry is futile. Worry is self-centered. If you look at verse 31, it says this. So do not worry saying, what shall we or I eat? What shall we or I drink? What shall I or we wear? The pagans run after all things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, when you start to worry, you take your eyes off of the faith in Christ and Jesus and onto your own problems and yourself. It becomes very selfish. You isolate yourself. And that is one of the biggest tools of the enemy. They like, the enemy wants to isolate us and get us focused on ourselves and remove other people. And woe is me, woe is me. And in that isolation comes paralysis. And when you get isolated and you freeze, you're an easy target for the enemy. And there are too many people, including myself, that have allowed ourselves to get paralyzed, frozen, worried, and we're an easy target because we're sitting by ourselves. And that's the secret of the enemy. And that's what worry does. It takes your focus off others around you and you puts it right on your one little problem, your big problem, or your life-altering problem, whatever it is. The last thing I want to tell you is that worry is dangerous. I don't have a verse for this. I just went to WebMD. I don't recommend going to WebMD to look up worry because it'll just cause more worry. <laughs> WebMD has a great penchant for listing all the things and all the symptoms and halfway through the symptom list you're convinced you've got whatever it is you're looking up and then you click on one of them takes you another page and you're like oh man I got that too <laughs> so as I was looking up worry I began to worry that maybe I have a worry problem but it listed things on there and you know from anxiety and stress and worry elevated heart rate all right shortness of breath lack of sleep inability to focus all right can't get your thoughts put together. And then it can go to bigger things, all right? Strained relationships. There's a whole list of things that anxiety and worry do in our life. And we know this. The mental health business is a growing business. Now, it's kind of odd because mental health issues have increased by almost 400% in our country, yet mental health providers is decreasing at about a 300% rate. And so the field is getting flooded with new mental health providers. In the elementary world where I work, I was speaking to our school board and I said, we have mental health issues that are on a 397% increase over the last seven years in elementary kids that are stressed out. That's childhood. You shouldn't be stressed out in childhood. 
and yet we're decreasing funding for school counselors by almost a 200% clip every year. There's a gap in there. But into that gap can wade the love, the faithfulness, and the beauty of Jesus. I believe in therapy. I believe in counseling. It saved my life. But Jesus was the rock to which it was anchored. Worry is futile, and it's centered in fear. It was 2006 when I found out that my wife at the time no longer wanted to be married. Talk about wading into worry. Talking about anxiety swinging into your life. I was a youth pastor. Things were great. I was at a really good church. I dedicated my life to working with kids and serving others. And then I wade into that. You're going to get hit with things where you can't avoid worry. It's going to raise its ugly head and it's going to come after you viciously at times. Sometimes it just nips at your heels. Sometimes it just flies around. Other times it just punches you right in the face. A loved one gets sick. Cancer is back. Lost my job. Whatever it is, you will not avoid worry because it will come after you. It's your response to worry that will dictate what happens moving forward. I don't, if you've walked through the trials and the pain of a divorce, my heart's here with you. Because there was no darker day in my life than the day I had to sit down and we had to tell our three kids, mom and dad aren't going to be living together anymore. I don't wish that kind of day on anybody. That was devastating. And in an instant, everything swirled. How am I going to afford this? How am I going to provide for my kids? So I scrambled and I tried to do all these things and my nonprofit lost all its funding. My real estate issues went down. And I'm sitting there jobless on the brink of a divorce with three kids. I didn't know what I was going to do. And worry crept in. It consumed me. I couldn't sleep. I was anxious. So I get it. I understand. But nothing changed because of my worry. Nothing got better because of my worry. Worry is futile. And it's centered in fear. When genuine concern crosses over the line and becomes worry, it ceases to be motivated by love and instead motivated by fear. When fear becomes the main motivator, the concern is no longer the well-being of others, but rather desire for control and safety. And I was working really hard to control my life at that time, and I couldn't. And when things are out of control, that's when worry grabs hold. Because you know what? We can't control life. So now that we know that, what should I do? Okay, Scott, so I got these things that came in my life. They're here. They're huge. They're, I can't ignore them. I'm not telling you ignore them. I'm not saying that you go all the way over here that, oh, Jesus is happy. Everything will be good. I don't have to do anything. That's ignorance. 
But you don't want to go all the way down there to worry where you're consumed and grabbed by it. There's somewhere in the middle here where God says, what do you do? He's not going to give you a problem without a manual to what to do about it. So what do you do? There's three things here. One, kingdom focus. If you look at verse 33 of our main passage here. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Do not focus on the all these things will be given to you because that is not riches and blessings all the time. What he is saying is you need to first focus on the kingdom and his righteousness. In those darkest moments, I made a decision that while everything around me was in doubt, I was going to anchor myself to the faith that God said he's faithful. I sure didn't feel it. I sure didn't feel it. I felt alone. I felt unheard. I felt hurt. I felt despair. But I said, I'm going to make some kind of mental choice. I'm going to anchor into his faith. I am still going to continue to seek God, even though I'm really mad at him right now. Because I'm so mad at you, God, you better explain this to me. I still tried to, tried to seek his kingdom. I still tried to understand where the righteousness was in all this, and I couldn't find it for a very long time. But I was not going to, in front of my kids, abandon a faith that I knew to be true. Worry will pull you away from it. Worry will drag you so far down the rabbit hole you can't remember what you believed. And I was close a lot of times. But you have to seek first the kingdom of God. The next one was a verse that I did not like very much. It's in Philippians chapter 4, if, you've, if you want to turn there, otherwise I'll read it to you here. Philippians chapter 4. Let me get there in just a second. It says this. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I didn't like that verse for a while in my life, and I'll tell you why. I did a lot of praying, I heard nothing back. I don't know if you've had to sit through the silence of a tribulation or a trial in your life. I don't know if you found yourself on the floor of your house somewhere weeping and crying out to God to get nothing back. It's the great mystery of our relationship with the all-powerful Savior. But if you've been there, and the Bible says, pray with all gratitude and thanksgiving. I don't have a lot to be thankful for right now. So I began to find pebbles of gratitude. I began to find pebbles of thankfulness. I'm still in my kid's life. I'm still their father. I picked up extra work doing things. Thanks for that. But that's the point. Those prayers do not have to be prayers of, oh God, you're wonderful, or God, I had some very angry prayers. It says, let your prayers, whatever they are, angry prayers, happy prayers, petitioning prayers, pray, because pray is conversation. And believe me, I had some conversations with God. I asked some very direct questions. I asked some very angry questions. I vented. Because I hung to the faith that if you want to be in this with me, Jesus, like you say you did, 
then I believe you can listen to what I have to say. And I said it. And I prayed. And I tried to be grateful. And what's interesting is while my problems weren't all solved, there was a focus and a peace that kind of came on. It wasn't immediate. It wasn't there every day. But it was enough to let me know that he's listening. And the resounding answer I got was no. This marriage is not going to be saved. I didn't get that. But I prayed. I tried to live in gratitude. The next thing I did, as I shifted to concern, I tried to put my faith in action. Because when you go back to Matthew, it says, seek the kingdom of God. Seek is an action. So in my desolation mode there, I said, I just got to go get work. So I started working at Costco, pushing carts. My supervisor was 19 years old. <laughs> I was, what, 33? All right. That's an interesting dynamic, being bossed around by a 19-year-old. Probably had him in high school and didn't even know it. <laughs> Punk, don't tell me what to do. That's where I was. I'm pushing carts. Lighten up, dude. It's not rocket science here. But you know what that job did for me? The day my life, my day my insurance for my old job ran out, I got insurance with Costco. That concern taken off the table. That job allowed me to work some odd hours at night so I could go build houses in the day. At least I knew how to do that, so I went back to knowing what I do. Swinging a hammer, throwing up frames, shingling, whatever. A buddy of mine hired me on. He didn't need to. He was a brother. He did it. That began to take care of some other bills. Those led to me interacting and meeting other people. I heard about this opening for a PE teacher up in Edmonds that was part-time through somebody I ran into at Costco, and then I ended up working at a house for someone that was a teacher at the school. You should apply. Okay. Duh, why not? I'm just dumbly walking along trying to make anything move forward. Ended up getting the job in Edmonds as a PE teacher. Action. I tried to make everything a concern rather than a worry. I couldn't sit here at night feeling bad for myself, dwelling on everything, trying to decide, literally trying to decide, do I pay the electric bill or do I buy groceries? If you've ever been there, that's worry. Do I sign my kid up for basketball or do I not because do I have to tell him we just can't do it? See, I tried to say, concern, what is the action I can take? It's a mind shift. It's a Jesus shift. Jesus was a person of action. Worry will come knocking at your door. Are you going to sit down and quit, or are you going to take action and move? And the movement may, I didn't know where I was going. I was on this blind path, pushing carts at night at Costco, all right, slinging hammers and nails during the day, trying to teach a PE class. I'm like, is this where I'm at? Is this what I'm doing? But it gave me time with my kids. It let me provide for my family. So I was addressing concerns and taking action. That may, that may seem confusing, but it was a small shift in my mindset that I think rescued me from a lot of dark hours alone. 
and it began to build hope. So here's the next point. Be hopeful, because hope is the cure to worry. Worry wants to grind out hope. Action renews hope. When you're moving and doing something and making choices and plans, God can work with a moving boat. He can't steer it when it's anchored to the docks. You've got to take that boat out into the troubled waters. Hope. You can't lose sight of that. So, Scott, this is great. You gave me what to do. It's kind of like telling a guy, all you got to do is go sell this widget and you can make lots of money. They don't have to tell you how to sell the widget. It's no good. So how do you do this? How in the midst of all this do you really not worry? Well, we go back to scripture. One of my life verses, pocket verses I love keeping around with me is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The first one is trust the Lord. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Here's why I love that verse. Lean not under your own understanding. Because I, I can be a pretty stupid guy sometimes. And in the midst of going through that journey, I, I did not know what I was doing. I did not know what was going to happen. Yet I trusted God. It may have been this tiny of a little seed of trust. But I kept trying to trust God. And trusted he would direct me. So that PE job I got, I was there for like two months. And one day the principal came into me and said, hey, Scott, um, can you come to my office at the end of the day? And even at 33, going to the principal's office still scared me. <laughs> I had the flash. Hey, I grew up where you got spanked in the office. In fact, I got spanked in school. I think my parents just signed a waiver saying spank the kid whenever you want. But then again, I grew up in the era and neighborhood where the neighbor could just smack you upside the head, you know, and I just grew up in that. And so when he said, hey, Scott, come into my office after school today. I want to talk to you. Worry. I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired from a PE job. That's the one thing I actually have a degree in, all right? I thought I was going to get fired for not pushing the carts correctly. Um, so he called me into his office and he said, hey, um, he actually said, and I'm always embarrassed to share this because it sounds a bit arrogant, but he actually said, hey, you know, you teaching PE is like me mowing my yard with a Ferrari. I'm like, what's that? He goes, there's more to you than a PE teacher, man. He goes, I've seen you around the staff. I've seen you around kids. I've seen the projects you've taken on here. He goes, you need to go be a principal. I laughed. I said, like, I got time to go to college and get a degree to go be a principal. I said, yeah, I'll squeeze it in between pushing cards, hammer and nails, and teaching PE class. I'm not going to do that. And coaching football and basketball. I went home. I'm not joking. That night, I'm talking to a friend on the phone. He goes, hey, you know what's weird? I go, what time? He goes, I was praying for you this morning, and God told me you should go be a principal. <laughs> now, if you know a little bit about me, I'm kind of like, shut the front door. Why is God telling everybody else what I should do and not giving me a phone call? <laughs> like, he send me a text or something. He can talk to me. I'm not into God told you to tell me what to do. He can tell me himself. All right, that's a little bit of the cynicism in me that I wrestle with at times. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. He will direct, he will direct your paths. He started directing my paths. You go back to Philippians chapter four, sorry, you go back to uh, Philippians chapter four, eight, and nine. The end of that passage reads like this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, it's a long list. 
If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. My second point is, how do you not worry? You think on these things. These things. The Bible things, the godly things, the holy things, the righteous things. You quit thinking about all the other things and you go back to what you know to be true. So you know what I did? I applied to get into college. I applied to get into the prestigious Danforth program. I can't say it's prestigious since I went through it anymore. But the prestigious Danforth program at UW, and it is. And I did. I threw it out like Gideon. I said, fine, I'll apply. If God wants me to go, then I'll get in. <laughs> I went back to pushing carts, pounding the nails, and teaching PE. I got in. Wow. How am I going to depend? Now worry set in. How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for that? Best year of my life. Worst year of my life. Hardest year of my life. Most learning year of my life. It was a pride-swallowing, gravel-eating existence for one year. I got my master's of teaching. I got my principal certification. I did a full-time internship. I taught PE five classes a day. I worked at Costco at night. I coached my son's football team, coached my daughter's basketball team, my other daughter's soccer team, all in one year and went through a divorce. That's a hell of a year. I worried. <laughs> and that's not a lie. You would think in the midst of all that, and God providing all these opportunities around me, I'd have so much to be grateful for. But you know what I did? I worried. Am I going to get a job once I graduate? Am I going to continue to have to do all this? Am I gonna... And I had to catch myself all the time to go back to faith, focus, action, Think on these things, whatever is right, whatever is true. God loves you. He cares for you. He takes care of the birds and the flowers. He dresses them. He feeds them. He's going to take care of you. How? I don't see it. I can't see the end of the tunnel. I think there's a light down there, but it might be a train getting ready to kill me. I don't know. But somehow deep inside of me, I found enough of a grain to throw it out in front of me every day. Sometimes every two hours, I'm going to move, I'm going to move, I'm going to move. Because my concern wasn't me, it was my kids. And the legacy I wanted to leave for them, that I didn't get stuck in worry and quit and abandon a faith. How cliche is that? I was going to do something legendary differently. I was going to wade through the most difficult time in their lives. They were going through more trauma than I was. And I was not going to get anchored to worry. I was going to anchor myself to the faith in God. And I was going to take my worry and turn it into concern, make an action plan and move, even if I didn't know where that was going to take me. The last thing is you need to involve others. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 talks about us being a body of believers. That when one of us is... Sorrowful, we're all sorrowful. When one mourns, we all mourn. If there's a need, we all respond. I did not get to where I was without a community of believers around, around me. My friend hired me to work for him when he couldn't afford to pay me, yet he did it anyway. I had friends that bought me groceries. I'm sorry. Christmas is about Jesus, but you know what else is about for kids? Christmas trees and presents and lights. Whether you think that's stupid or not, in a kid's world as a divorced dad and life falling apart around them, 
somebody bought me a Christmas tree. All of that left a resounding message inside of me and a resounding voice of God in me. He says, Scott, pray like it's all up to me. Work like it's all up to you. You do the work. I'll take care of the details and the rest. You just keep walking, kid. One foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. I'd slide back into worry. Some friends would snap me out. I'd snap myself out. A verse, a call. Because it will try to bite you and drag you down and freeze you because things weren't going right. 15 interviews after I graduated, no job offers. The job in Edmonds could only give me 0.5. I couldn't do 0.5. I had to have a full-time job. One of the people I'd gone through graduate school with called me up and said, hey, I'm the new assistant principal at an elementary in Bellevue. We got a full-time PE job open. Do you want it? I'm like, I don't want to go work in Bellevue. <laughs> I was working at a Title I school in Edmonds, working with kids, and I'm like, I don't want to go to Bellevue. Little did I know how much need there is in Bellevue. I took the job. Started teaching PE at Clyde Hill and Ardmore Elementary. Four months into it, they asked me to fill in for some principals in the district. They needed some substitutes. A month after that, one of the district supervisors came in and said, we want to offer you the job as Dean of Students at Stevenson. Okay. <laughs> I took it. Two years later, they moved me back to Clyde Hill as the assistant principal. Two years after that, the principal at, Stephen, at Spirit Ridge Elementary. Nothing along the way is anything that I overwhelmingly deserved. Do I still have worries? Yeah, I got two kids in college. Look at I got orthodontist bills and doctor's bills. My kids had two knee surgeries. I got car insurance out the wazoo for teenagers, and you know how that goes. I still have worries, but you know what? They nip at you, and I've gotten stronger. When you walk through trials and you walk through pain and you survive and you come out the other side with Christ anchored to him, you can tackle anything. And I'm telling you, you're all capable of tackling it right now. You just don't know it. Because you don't know what you don't know in the moment. And there's still some things I don't know that I don't know and I'm sure that's going to come along and refine me more. But I'm not going to get stuck in worry. Because I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to seek the kingdom of God. I'm going to pursue his righteousness, and I don't, don't even think I'm perfect. Man, I have messed up along the way. I have not been good with my faith along the way. I, I stand before you a broken man that have made many mistakes. But don't let worry consume you. My oldest is 21 now. Zach's 19. Morgan's the oldest. Zach's 19. Abby is 16. None of them could be here today. Zach's in Montana. Morgan's off with some friends for the weekend, and Abby is with her mom at a different commitment. But I texted him this morning saying, hey, I'm preaching this morning. Send me a prayer. All three of them texted me back. My son's was the last one. He goes, he goes ain't no worries at all. <laughs> he didn't even know I was preaching on worry. 
How crazy is that? But then he said, you've always got it, Dad. Thanks. Worry will keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll take you further than you wanted to go. And it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. Let me say this again. Worry will, take you, will keep you longer than you want to stay. Take you further than you want to go. Cost you more than you want to pay. So be done with it. If you're like, I, I don't know how, I can't break that, get others in your life that can help you. I could not have done it by myself. I don't know what to go to the scripture. Believe it even when you don't want to believe. One of my favorite parables, it was Jesus getting ready to heal somebody. He looks at the father and he says, do you believe? And the guy looks at him and he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I never understood that parable until I stood on the precipice of where I was. God, I believe you're God, but I can't believe you're going to fix this mess. I don't know what to do. You've got to help my unbelief. You've got to talk to God like that. You got to get to a point where you will trust him with everything in here, that vulnerability, that authenticness, because he already knows it. We're told in Matthew 17, just a few chapters over, that the faith of a mustard seed will move a mountain and nothing is impossible. Really? How do we move a mountain? One rock at a time. How do you move a mountain? One tiny rock at a time. You pick it up, you move it, you go to the next rock. You pick it up, you move it, you go to the next rock. And some days are tiny pebbles, some days are big rocks, and it's a pride-swallowing, gravel-eating existence at times, but you work your way out of that worry into concern and action, and you watch God. How do you do the impossible? By doing what's possible right in front of you. By what's in front of you. You cannot look so far out in front of you that you get panicked but just far enough to have a plan. I'm a whitewater rafting guide during the summers. And one of the things I train guides when they're getting on the river is this. If you look too far down the river, you're gonna miss the rocks right in front of you. If you look at the rocks right in front of you, you're gonna miss your run and where you need to go through the entry point. So there's a balance in life that's why I love the river, of looking at what's right in front of you to navigate, looking far enough ahead to plan, and trusting the skill set of the people in the raft with you to move the raft where you need to. Life is like that with Jesus. He doesn't say ignore all the problems in front of you. He doesn't say don't get so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. But you better paddle, and you better dig in. And when Jesus says dig, you dig. And when he says stop, you stop. The problem is, what do you do when you can't hear them? And it's in those silent moments of worries I give you this. The acronym FACT. F-A-C-T. Here's one fact you can always do. Faith. Anchor to faith. Go back to that faith. Because you may drift, but if you're anchored to the faith of God, no matter where you drift, it will center you back to him. Find some sort of action. Find something to move forward. C, build a community around you. You cannot do this on your own or you will get devoured by the lion. And the last one is trust in time. Trust in time. I'm eight years divorced. My ex-wife and I get along fine. We're good friends. My kids are pretty much well, you know, well-rounded. <laughs> They're still learning. They're kids. I'm a principal in Bellevue. Is everything perfect? No. But I'm a stronger person 
for that than I would have been without that. Let me pray for you.